In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome into another brand new Friday afternoon edition of Franchise Players. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. You can catch Franchise Players, the best college and high school athletes, coaches, beat writers, and more from the triad and beyond. Folks in North Carolina sports, you can catch it across the triad every Friday on uh, Tobacco Road Sports Radio's TGI Friday lineup starting at 3 p.m. on WWBG, 1470 a.m. Franchise Players airs at 5 p.m. over there in Guilford County. And then, of course, our uh, home at WTOB, 96.7 FM and 9.80 AM in Forsyth County. So whether you're in Winston-Salem or you're in Greensboro, you're able to catch franchise players over terrestrial radio. And, of course, online at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. It's, uh, I don't even really need to say it, but you all know what it is. It's North Carolina versus Duke Rivalry Week Part 2. Um, I had to go bring in some heavy hitters from the Tar Hill Tribune, R.L. Bynum, and, of course, from the Durham Herald Sun, Steve Wiseman, joining us today. What's going on, fellas? How you doing? Doing good. So yeah, man, let's do it. Yeah, let's just get into it because uh, <laughs> these um, every, everyone in America knows I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel fan. I never hide my fandom when it comes to my my heels, especially on the basketball side. Let's start off on the Duke side. Uh, Steve Duke has won five straight after that loss at Virginia. Uh, what what's what has been the number one thing you've seen in this stretch that tells you that Duke may have flipped a switch here? Well, it's really the the connectedness on offense, the uh, the amount of assists they've averaged, seventeen or eighteen, some, for a while there was nineteen assists per game. Like over the last ten, they've won eight of the last ten, uh, including the five in a row. So um, they've really turned the corner there. They they weren't a great shooting team in January, uh, and they, it's because a lot of times they were passing the ball around and not really working toward an open shot or a better shot. It was just a shot and. They ended up taking a lot of late shots in the shot clock, four shots, where they obviously were low percentage. Uh, they've done a much better job moving the ball around, making maybe one or two extra passes to get a better open shot, and they've hit them. They've shot better uh, over the last you know ten games here, especially the last five. So, to me, the defense has always been there. The rebounding has always been there. It was just a matter of these these scoring slumps they would go in, and uh, they've been able to overcome that recently and playing better on that end of the court. It does feel like there's more uh, cohesion with the offense. And I guess a lot of that, um, I thought I saw a stat that Duke's only played a handful of games fully healthy. That They've had a lot of just random nagging injuries throughout the whole year to random players. And it seems like they're starting to get healthy right here at the right time. Uh, John Shire, first, uh, I'm not saying first ACC coach to uh, not lose at home first season, 15-0. So His first season, yeah, yeah. Yeah, even Coach so, K. Dean, Roy, none of those guys did any of that uh, year one in the ACC. So um, even though some people would say it's a down ACC, I don't buy that so much. I think it's just more evenly across the board, especially the top eight, nine teams or so. Any of them could beat any of them on any given night. As we saw, college basketball was drunk on a Thursday or Wednesday night. It felt like, I mean, <laughs> like Auburn. Notre Dame Auburn, and Pitt. I mean, yeah, Notre Dame right. and Pitt. Like, it's like, what is going on? So, And it's been like that all year. So, um <laughs> hopefully that that madness will carry over to Greensboro and uh the ACC tournament uh starting uh, here in a couple of days. RL, 
UNC has won three straight after uh, falling to NC State back on February the 19th. Talk to me a little bit about the emergence of Pete Nance in this stretch. Is it a is it an aberration, as I've heard some people say, based off of stats and the entire year's worth of stuff you can look over? Or do you, you have a feeling that he and maybe the team have turned a corner? He, he I think, uh, he finally got uh, clear of the back issues, and that, that was huge. You would see him on the – during timeouts with uh, with some kind of beating wrap around him. You don't see that anymore. And that's got to make a world of difference uh, for him. And he's shooting very well from three-point range in the last couple of games. Uh, it's like seven of ten the last two games. Yeah. And uh, he's never going to be Brady Manic, but having that element to give Carolina some spacing and give them another threat that, that – that, where the defense has to respect it goes a long way. And uh, if he can continue to do that, and he's, he's made a few uh, post moves last few games that he hasn't before, uh, that could make a big difference for Carolina. It feels like when it comes to Nance, um, it almost, it starts with his defense, to be honest. I, I've noticed he's really active on the blocks uh, the past couple of games. Um Feels like he's had like seven blocks the past like two games. Uh, and he seems to take pride in it too. Um, there was a stretch uh in that last game against FSU where uh Hubert was playing with the lineup and had Baycott on the bench for a large chunk of the second half and was not in foul trouble. And it was just kind of riding Pete being hot and being able to take some minutes there in the middle, which they haven't really had all year. And now it feels like okay, now that he can do that, it's almost like Hubert looked at it like well, the best way for me to be able to move the ball around is to take the best player off the floor because they're all just crowding Armando in the paint and they can't really do anything. Then they settle for 25-foot three-pointers, like at the end of a shot clock, and it's like <laughs> it's literally the entire season. But once they started playing around with it and Pete started playing better, it like unlocked all this stuff. And it feels it feels similar to last year in terms of uh, Manic wasn't starting at the beginning of the year. It was um, – what was his name? Uh, transferred out. Dawson Garcia, uh, Dawson Garcia, who left uh, in January, and, and that's when things started uh, picking up for Brady Manick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, and he started every game, and the rest is uh, history uh, on the run to the final four. They, they, I think this Carolina team, this, the four in particular, Leaky, Caleb Love, mm-hmm. RJ Davis, Armando. I think they're intentionally trying to give me a stroke because they're trying to, <laughs> they're trying to do the same thing they did last year. And it's like on one part, I'm kind of like, okay, I've seen this before. We know they have the talent to do it. All of college basketball is down pretty much. It feels like if there was a team out there that could get in through the back door and make a similar run, it would be North Carolina. But then I mean, the, the, the thing, the thing uh, <laughs> we saw how, how well Carolina shot from three-point range in the last couple of games. And the reality is they just need to be average from the perimeter. Average is going to be enough. Yeah. You, when, when they've shot at least 34% from three-point range, they're 10 and 0. 34%, that puts you at – if they did that for the season, they'd be seventh in the ACC instead of last. So it's it's not as if they need to really – they go more than 40% in order to win. They don't. Yeah. Just, just an a- average shooting will give them enough spacing to, to, to maybe teams don't sag on Baycott as much and, and they can have success. And obviously, the, uh, the other night, four guys hitting three three pointers, uh, I, having that many threats. I don't even know how to. Really going to space it out, 
And, and, and Hubert Davis's approach is kind of predicated on being able to do that. So uh, if, if they can continue to just make a decent amount of threes, at least maybe seven or eight, they should be fine. And maybe stop turning the ball over. That would be nice. Uh, these random uh, passes they're trying to throw into Armando that look like lazy fourth grade AAU. <laughs> they're just kind of just trying to get it in there just to show they tried. They've kind of stopped that the past couple. Well, FSU, they had a lot of turnovers over there too. But yes. they're, they're getting a little, yeah, <laughs> they're, getting, they're getting there. They're getting there. Steve Wiseman from the Durham Health Sun, R.L. Bynum from Tariel Tribune, joining us here on Franchise Players, talking Carolina Duke, 630 tip off on ESPN. Um, Steve, from your team uh, that you cover, the Duke Blue Devils, who would you put on ACC first team, if any, and, and why? Well, Kyle Filipowski has been the leading scorer all year, and, and uh, he's averaging a double-double, um, you know, 15 and 10 around there. So um, he hasn't scored as much lately. They haven't needed him to because other people have stepped up their scoring. Jeremy Roach is playing better, uh, all that. Uh, Mark Mitchell's contributing a little more, Tyrese Proctor. But, but Filipowski's been the guy all year long. He's been – He's been the guy that uh, that other teams have had to figure out. Okay, we got to find a way to you know, deny him the ball, make him uncomfortable when he gets the ball in the post. Uh, he would be the only. As I've, I'm just starting to put together my ballot this week for all ACC, he's the only Duke player I have under consideration for for that kind of stuff because nobody else has been consistent enough through the year. And as yeah. we mentioned earlier, it's been injuries, right? So Roach was hurt for a while. He'd be the only other guy to even be you even <laughs> talk about. But uh, but Kyle's the one. Uh, same question for you, RL, uh, regarding Carolina. Who would you put on ACC first team, if any? Uh, Baycott's one point game the other <laughs> night, notwithstanding, I, obviously he, he'd be he'd be the the one. I can't. I don't know that I can make a case for anybody else. I did like the fact that uh, late in that game, when Baycott was on the free throw line and he hit his free throw, so that he wouldn't go scoreless in the game, and he gave like a fist pump, like he kind of knew he knew in his head <laughs> like what was going on. I noticed it on TV, because the announcers were talking about it, and he hit the free throw, and he's like, <laughs> and they were already up like eight or nine or something like that, but I knew what that was. I was, I'm not going to go scoreless in this game. I think he's fine with it. If you got to have a player where you got to pull out you know, for a 10-minute stretch, as long as the team wins, Armando Baycott would probably be top of the list for me right now, in terms of a guy that'd be fine with it, as long as the team wins, and he, he's not like he's not going to be starting on Saturday. So <laughs> I, mean, it was, I think he was fine with what was going on and seeing Pete Nance, uh, you know, kind of lead that squad there. Who's the- that, was, that was one of the – I mean, all season, it's impossible to predict how Hubert Davis will distribute the minutes. And yeah. that was the most vexing all season, along with the fact that Dontre Styles doesn't, doesn't play for four games. And he gets <laughs> the minutes at Florida State. <laughs> <laughs> DeMarco Dunn doesn't get off the bench. Tyler Nickel doesn't get off the bench. I what mean, do you think that is? But why, it, why, it, what, it's, what is it's that? It's almost impossible to predict the, the substitution pattern that uh, Hubert Davis will, will have from game to game. You Well, you know, you know that Seth Tribble is going to get minutes off the bench. You know Puff Johnson is going to get significant minutes off the bench. That's all you know. Yeah, because there'll be games where, like, Jalen Washington won't sniff the floor. Uh, right. And then there'll be, like, a two-game stretch where he plays. Or, you know, like you said, there's – there, I was shocked to see. I actually had to like, you know, wipe my eyes and like look at the TV when they showed Styles in the game in the first half, and I was like, "Is that?" <laughs> I almost forgot that he was there, and then he played second half too. So, like, you're right. I don't understand. Is it matchups? Maybe like it was, it was matchups. He, he, he uh, uh, Hubert Davis wanted uh, Styles up against Cleveland. Uh, mm. 
and it, uh, he, he he played pretty good defense there. It's, it's and then then he then he had, he had some flashes on offense as well. Um, so yeah, I, that that definitely was a matchups uh, decision there. Let's pull out real quick to the entire ACC. Uh, Steve, who's your who's who are you leaning towards currently for ACC Player of the Year? Because this has been a wild season. I don't think anybody predicted the top four teams as they currently stand uh, at the top of the standings. Who who who's your Player of the Year? Right, like um, you know, I was on the Baycott train for the longest time just because he produces regularly more than anybody else, even though. Carolina's not in the top four where they usually are uh, at the top. Um, I'm starting to lean more toward Jamaris Burton from um, from Pitt because, you know, they're – well, until, until Wednesday night they were in line to win the conference. And he's <laughs> – even Wednesday night against Notre Dame, he had 19 points. So he's been their best player, right? The best player on, on the best team in the, in the league. So I still haven't decided where my vote's going to go. Those two are, are kind of up there. Uh, again, Armando, just because he was the preseason guy – and he's delivering on what, what was expected of him, right? He's doing the double-double every night, the one-point game notwithstanding, uh, like you mentioned, but uh, that's going to happen. Some would say maybe Armando should have won it last year um, and did not, and maybe this might be a makeup uh, for him. Uh, R.O., your thoughts? Who, who's the ACC Player of the Year? Uh, I'd still have to give it to Baycott at this point. And, and like I said, last year, I think if all the voters waited till the last regular season game was over, he would have won it, but uh, you know, people kind of made their decisions ahead of time, and, and that's the way that went. But uh, uh, Baycott can't have another game like he had at Florida State at Duke in order to do that. Yeah, I, yeah, I seriously doubt senior night in Chapel Hill versus Duke, uh, last game in the Smith Center. I, I'm pretty positive Baycott's going to come out and have a good game, unless they can somehow get him in foul trouble or something, uh, which might be the plan. They might throw some bodies at him. Um, coach of the year, ACC. Who would you who would you have? Uh, well, I I'm still going with Capel. Uh, it was Kevin Keats for a while. Uh, State's tapered off here a little bit at the end. Yeah, uh, falling out of the top five. So, um, yeah, I mean Capel just he he finally turned it around up there. He finally got them, you know, uh, you know, up at the top of the conference, and uh, he, he's done the best job. Or would you say the same, or just somebody else? Yeah, particularly when you, you know, coach of the year usually is the 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 coach who um, far exceeds expectations, and and Capel certainly did that. I don't think anybody at the beginning of the season expected them to be having a shot at a share of the ACC title. Where were they picked like 14th or something in the preseason by by, by you guys in the media? Um, and yeah, the, they were down there. Yeah, so <laughs> for them to be. Uh, even to be in this position where they're tied for first or something as it stands right now, depending on what happens over the next couple of days, uh, they're going to get a double buy either way uh, in Greensboro. So no one called that for Pitt. Um, I, I, I would agree. Kevin Keats would be up there too because I didn't see the NC State team being as, as solid as they are. Uh, they have had a couple of weird games. Like they're they're Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde to me. They could beat Duke by 24, whatever it was, uh, in PNC Arena, or they could lose to Clemson on senior night <laughs> at home uh, by the same amount and basically lose, be down 25 pretty much the entire uh, second half. So I, I don't know. State's one of those weird teams where like, if they popped up in the sweet 16, I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, matchups, good guard play. Got DJ Burns in the paint, but if they went out first round, it, it wouldn't surprise me either. Uh, and actually, honestly, every single team in the ACC is like that to me <laughs> this year. Like there's not a single one where I'm like, 
that one is a Final Four team. Maybe Miami, maybe, but ah. I keep coming back to Carolina because <laughs> they're the only ones that have done it. They're the only ones that have actually gone the path. And I feel like it's almost like this team plays better with their back against the wall instead of front runners. Like when they're front runners, they're, they're not going to, and that's been the way for three years. Like if they're supposed to win the game, they're going to figure out a way to mess it up. But if it's a are game, you, are you that they didn't play well as a number one team who Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, first, it's different playing college at Charleston and UNC Wilmington, you know, first weeks of the year and you're on Sports Illustrated cover and all that stuff. And then you start to run the folks like Alabama. And uh, I think that showed Carolina real quick that they couldn't just coast through this year. So I think that's what they were kind of trying to do. But now fighting for their playoff lives again, you're starting to see them play better again. Hubert's starting to expand the rotation again. Like it's the, it's the sequel to last year. And I don't know what's going to happen. But I feel like if they beat Duke and win a game or two in the AC tournament, they're not going to leave a 20-plus win North Carolina team out of the tournament. Like, they're just not going to do it. Joe Lombardi pretty much said it. If it was any other team besides the one that says North Carolina across the chest, we wouldn't even be having this conversation about them maybe getting into the tournament. So they're all aware that it's getting weighed down by the name. But that's okay. That's fine with me. <laughs> that's fine. But it could be a first four – a first – First four appearance mm-hmm. for the Tar Heels. That would be uh, interesting, to say the least. Uh, we've had ACC teams in that and make it to the Final Four. Didn't Syracuse do that a couple years ago? So mm-hmm. it's yep. it's possible. And this team does feel like they're built for tournament play. Like, they're kind of built that way. The way they use the rotations, play Friday, Sat- Friday, Sunday, or, you know, whatever the case, Thursday, Saturday. They seem like that kind of team that excels in that situation. Give me real quick, guys. Uh, and I'll get you out of here. Let's write the big headline. So whatever the Sunday headline is going to be, starting off with you, Steve, it's sort of prediction time. Give me your give me your prediction from the Duke side. Predict the big headline coming out of this uh, this Duke Carolina matchup on Saturday night. What is your Sunday headline prediction going to be? Yeah, um, Carolina evens it up. I, I think they're going to win in their home court. I, I know Duke's playing really well. Um, I just feel like, and they, and they played well. At Syracuse, the last road game, uh, of course, Syracuse is not playing well against anybody right now. But I just think I just think that this is a game where they're going to take a little step. But Carolina's going to play better than what they did in Cameron. That was what sixty three fifty seven game, which was yeah. Who? What the heck is that for these two teams? So anyway, Carolina's <laughs> going to even up the series. I think this year they're going to they're going to they're going to even it up. Same for you, RL. But from the Tar Heel side, what will uh, the big headline be Sunday morning? Tar Heel Tribune after Duke Carolina reprediction. Oh, the the, the 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 perimeter shooting finally makes a difference. I mean, in the first game, Carolina shot twenty five percent from three, and Lively uh, just gave uh, Baycott fits inside. And uh, if they can have more success from the perimeter, that that will help. Obviously, obviously, they didn't see Whitehead the first game. That that could be a big difference. I'm I, I'm interested to see how Carolina will deal with them. But uh, given how Carolina has had multiple perimeter threats recently, I think it's gonna that's gonna go differently, and that'll be enough for Carolina to pull that out. And if they if, and if Carolina finishes the regular season with four consecutive wins, I gotta think they make the field. Yeah, I, I don't even know if they beat Duke. I don't even know if they would need a win in the ACC tournament to get in. I think they would still maybe squeak in, maybe a double digit seed. I, I don't know, but. Again, like I said, college basketball has been drinking like all year. So even if Carolina got in as a 10 seed, 
who wants to see Carolina as a 10 seed? <laughs> like, you know, it, you know what I mean? Like who really wants to see Carolina as a, as a double digit seed uh, opening round of the tournament or whatever, or Duke as a seven seed or whatever it's going to end up being. So it's weird. It shaped up like this last year. Everyone said the ACC was down. They got three teams in the elite eight and they got two teams in the final four. And one was up by 16 in the national championship game. So, and none of them were supposed to be there, according to the the pundits, uh, the national media. So we'll see. Um, Duke Carolina, 6.30 p.m., ESPN tip-off. To me, still the greatest rivalry in all the sports. I don't care that neither one of them are ranked. Uh, the, the nation knows it's coming at 6.30 regardless of that anyway. It's going to be the highest-rated college basketball game on ESPN for the season like it is every year. Uh, throw out the records, throw out the rankings, throw out all of that stuff. Uh, it's Carolina Duke. So uh, appreciate RL and Steve coming through to, to talk to us about the rivalry a little bit. When we come back, play by play for Charlotte Hornets, Sam Farber from the Hornets Radio Network will come in, check with us on uh, the, the state of the Charlotte Hornets with only about 20 games left to go in this season. We'll talk a little bit about what's happened during this year and what might be happening in the future. If you're listening to the franchise players, tobaccoroadsportsradio.com. Franchise players are often referred to as the face of the franchise. Welcome back to Franchise Players here on WWBG 1470 AM and WTOB 96.7 FM, 980 AM across the triad. You can listen to us every Friday afternoon uh, starting at 5 o'clock. Or, of course, you can catch us online at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. WWBG 1470 AM has been and will be your home in the triad for Charlotte Hornets basketball. The Hornets taking on the Orlando Magic tonight, 7 p.m. on WWBG, 1470 a.m. You can catch that game uh, with us, powered by Tobacco Road Sports Radio. On the line with us right now, he is the play-by-play voice of the Hornets radio network, Sam Farber, joining a uh, friend of the program. What's going on, Sam? How you doing? I'm good, Desmond. It's good to be back with you again. Been too long. It has been too long. It's been too long. And, uh, of course, I catch it right after the Hornets finish a five-game win streak. I had to take on a returning Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns uh, this past um, Wednesday night. Uh, And, of course, again, like I said, the Hornets taking on the Magic here uh, tonight at 7 p.m. The the Hornets have ruled point guard LaMelo Ball. Let's go ahead and get all this out the way. LaMelo Ball is out for the remainder of the season with a broken right ankle he suffered versus the Pistons earlier in the week. Uh, was this five-game win streak that you just traveled with the team on, was that the best you've seen the Hornets this year? And, and what do you think was the big difference during that win streak? I mean, yes, full stop. It, it was clearly the best that they had played all season long. I think defensively, they've really started to turn a corner. And when you look historically at Steve Clifford coach teams, there tends to be a significant impact and a jump in wins in year one. That's obviously not going to happen this season um, due to, in my opinion, at least circumstances somewhat out of their control. But you were expecting and hoping to see a ramp up in terms of defensive performance. And sometimes defense is harder to grade. You know, defensive rating is kind of like quarterback rating. Like I know what a good one is, but I don't know how exactly you compute it um, sometimes. But you can see based off the numbers and the level of play out there that the defense has definitely improved. And while LaMelo is always going to keep that engine of the offense, you know, turbocharge. It, it's like, a, you know, it, it's like a NASCAR 
uh, vehicle going around the track at, at high speeds when Lamelo's running it, and when someone else is, it, it's a pace car. So like it just that's just what happens when you have a talent like Lamelo at the controls. But defensively is where you would expect to see maybe less of a drop off when you go to different players. Uh, if anything, maybe you'd expect to see a little bit stronger play because Dennis Smith Jr. is one of the better defensive guards in the NBA. He's clearly going to get more minutes. So even before the injury, and particularly since. You want to see improvement on the defensive side, and I think we have seen that over the course of this season. And Clifford, known to be a defensive uh, guy, and that was something where when he when he was rehired by the Hornets, I think the big question was, well, how's this going to work? Because Clifford doesn't really play the young guys. It feels like, although that was kind of the issue with Coach Borrego the prior years before, where it felt like the young guys weren't getting on the court. A lot of them coming back and forth, uh, up and down seventy-seven and uh, forty to Greensboro to the Swarm. Uh, that I helped cover and then getting called back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. Now, though, after the trade deadline, uh, talk a little bit about the emergence of some of the young big men on this team, because this team has been drafting big men, it feels like, for the past four years. But last year's first-round draft pick, Mark Williams, basically he never was really in Greensboro. They kind of kept him in Charlotte. He's been on on the bench. And now uh, with Plumlee getting traded out, it's kind of opened up some minutes there. Uh, Nick Richards has played. Give me some thoughts on the big men uh, that we've seen, because this is really the first time we've seen a stretch where the young guys are really getting a lot of reps and minutes um, for, for the Hornets over the past like three years, it feels like. I think this is the best position that the Hornets have been in for the center spot in the last 10 years. And, and I felt that before Mason Plumlee was traded as well. He had an excellent season for the Hornets. I'm a big fan of him and his game, and I'm, I'm certainly rooting for him with the Clippers um, to, to do something special here in the stretch run. But I think Mark Williams is an exceptional talent. I think due to the fact that he didn't play as much early, it, it's going to hurt his chances to be on an all-rookie team. But I certainly believe he should get there. I think if you were to you know, plug him into the minutes, Jalen Duran has played in Detroit or Walker Kessler has played in Utah, he meets or exceeds their performance to this stretch of the season. So I, I think he is an exceptional player, and he's going to be a very, very good center, hopefully for the Hornets for a very, very long time. And then with Nick Richards, I think he has taken a huge step forward this season. I uh, came in this year. I don't know that many people outside the building had thought too much about him, but he quickly established himself as the number two center on the team, and he has maintained that position now. So the question for him is, you know, what what is the, the ceiling going to be for him? Uh, we know that he is a quality rotational center in the NBA. How far can he push this? But I think with both those guys in tow, both very, very young, the Hornets have a chance to you know, really establish that position as one of strength for the years to come. Yeah, I agree. And then I didn't mention P.J. Washington, who's been nursing uh, an injury here and there. He plays you know, at the forward spot. They've kind of built it where they've got a lot of length, a lot of size on that, that, that front line. And then the, the backcourt, depending on what they decide to do in the offseason, of course, is going to be centered around LaMelo. And with this draft coming up, the Hornets, as it stands right now, I think they're like in the like fifth or something like that in terms of draft uh, picks or whatever. And they're not going to catch like a Houston or, or San Antonio who's just going for it uh, <laughs> in terms of trying to get that first overall pick. Well, um, and, and in terms of that, I mean, important for fans to keep in mind, this is not football. This is not the NFL where the worst record gets the best pick. That's not right. how it, it, it operates in the NBA. In the NBA, they have a lottery and they're flattened odds. So realistically speaking, the odds of winning the lottery for a team in the bottom three of the NBA is one in six. So 
generally, that's the equivalent of going to Las Vegas and saying, I'm putting all of my money on uh, the first 12, and then I'm going to, if I win that, I'm going to put it on red, and I got to hit them both in succession or else nothing happens. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking for a top four pick, which you know, I know we always generally put these classes in. Oh, here's the three best guys, and then there's a drop off. This one, it seems a bit deeper. It seems like there's five guys that are really in the mix. So, if we're saying a top four pick, if you have one of the three worst records in the NBA, your chances of getting a top four pick is 52 to 48. 52 percent you will, 48 percent you won't. If you're fourth, which is where the Hornets sit right now, it's flipped. It's 48 percent you will, 52 you won't. So it's essentially the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> regardless, I mean, teams that have bottomed out they have basically said there's no one on our team or at least there wasn't last year that we feel is going to be in the rotation when we are a playoff caliber team so they're bottoming out they're they're resetting things that's not what the hornets are doing here and i think for charlotte it it creates a very different opportunity for teams like you the ones that you've mentioned for most of them the plan is we need a whoever it is, Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, we need that guy and we're going to build around him. For the Hornets, the idea, I think, is more we've got a lot of our foundational pieces set here. We like Mark Williams. We love LaMelo Ball. We like what we're building here. And now whatever we get in the lottery, we're going to place that person within the foundation. We're not building a new car. We're replacing the tires or something like that, Mm -hmm. making it a more high-performing vehicle. Uh, you know, I'm glad you said that because I was on the Victor train for months. I was just like, you know, that kid looks like a generational talent. He does. But now that I'm watching the Hornets a little bit more closely and just kind of seeing, you know, down the road, a year or two down the road, who's going to probably be here, who will be gone, that kind of thing. It feels like it's going to be, or hopefully for the Hornets, it'll, it'll be built around the mellow ball. Mark Williams and whoever they get in this draft coming up, that'll probably end up being their big three. I keep coming. Actually, I keep coming back to Brandon Miller at Alabama. He feels like he could just slide right in at the shooting guard position beside LaMelo and they could be a terror for like the next 10 years back there with Williams man in the front court or someone like Scoot um, that had built like a man in high school, like right now at shooting guard and could play that position. There's a couple of prospects out there that I think would fit what they're missing, but I'm glad you said that, that they're not in the position where like, the Spurs could tra- draft uh, Victor Wimbayama, and that's literally their Tim Duncan for the next like year, uh, 10 years or whatever. They're going to build around him. We already kind of have that player. We kind of know LaMelo is going to be that guy, uh, and they're trying to build around LaMelo. And honestly, I've said they really got about another year or two to really do this before LaMelo starts to turn his head to points elsewhere. Like if we're, if we have, we're still turning our wheels or whatnot, he's going to have you know people in his ear, that kind of thing. He's going to be like 22 uh he'll be up for a max that kind of thing uh they really have to show to me that they're serious about this and i think they are um in terms of building this franchise to compete going forward uh, i mean i to me started to jump in but i I think i think they're built to compete now I, i think what we saw on this five game win streak in this recent stretch is win healthy this team can win and will win games you know you look at gordon hayward over the entirety of his career and part of it uh with charlotte i should say part of it has been with a rookie lamello ball oftentimes it's been with an injured lamello ball or other injuries elsewhere on the roster when gordon plays it's a 500 team that's a playoff team when he doesn't play it's a 25 game below 500 team so you've got some pieces here that are ready to win now unfortunately i think there's been about 
10 games all season long where they were all healthy. And you can't control that to a certain extent. Um, you know, in terms of, of moving forward for the franchise, I think I, I do think they're in a good position because they are building it the right way. They're identifying good pieces and and putting them in play and letting them develop. Uh, you know, I, I look at the lottery here. It's an opportunity for the Hornets to hopefully have some fun and and win it. Um, but either way, they're going to get a good piece to add to the mix and, and banking on the lottery is a lot like saying your retirement plan is to go back to Vegas is going to Vegas. You know, if you're going to Vegas with a, you know, $500 in your pocket and you, you know, you have that kind of means you say, listen, I'm going to have fun 500 on red. Let's see what happens. Great. If you do that with uh, $50,000 and say, this is my retirement plan, I'm putting it on red. That's a bad decision. So the Hornets are not putting their, uh, all of their eggs in the, we better win the lottery or else this is over basket. It's quite the contrary. This is an opportunity to add a significant piece. Maybe it is a centerpiece, like one of these top two or three or five picks end up being. Um, but I mean, we just, you just don't know. I mean, they're 18, 19, 20 year old kids. Exactly. You That's, look at Major League Baseball. I mean, Mike Trout went 21st. Do we think that everyone drafting ahead of him was an idiot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of us do. But, you know, <laughs> you just don't know. You don't know when they're that young what they're going to become. Yeah. And so, you know, that's why you have people like Mitch Kupchak pulling the strings and making the decisions. I mean, Kawhi Leonard was drafted like 17th or something like that. Like, it, you really don't. Giannis, you know, like they, were, they weren't drafted top three. It's not a guarantee they're going to be a star. So Even beyond that, I mean, like in that era, it wasn't even so much they would go straight to the NBA. They would go to college. Kawhi right. Leonard and Paul George went to Fresno State and San Diego State. Great programs. I've covered them both. They're great programs. UCLA didn't get them. You know, Duke didn't get them. North Carolina didn't get them. You know, you would think if you're one of the four or five best players in the game, that's where you end up. Well, they didn't. They ended up at Mountain West schools. And then they go to the draft. Did they go one, two, or three? No, they didn't. They went late in the lottery, later in the first round. And now they are clearly some of the best players in the NBA. So, you know, development takes its own pace and anyone who thinks that they know uh, when someone's 18 or 19 years old exactly what they're going to be the rest of their lives, uh, look at Giannis. He went 15th overall. Look at Kawhi Leonard. He went later in the draft. There's so many examples of it, as well as examples of people who drafted first overall who either don't pan out for physical injuries or, or maybe they just don't end up developing at the same pace others in their class do. Hornets Radio Network play-by-play man Sam Farber joining us here on Franchise Players. Uh, Again, the Hornets taking on the Orlando Magic tonight on WWBG, 1470 AM here in the Triad, powered by Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Uh, Real quick before I get you out of here, Sam, looking back on the season uh, so far, give me one player from the Hornets roster that's been the biggest surprise to you, whether up or down. That's a good question. Biggest surprise. I'll, I'll um, I'll say Kelly Oubre. I think we all knew what kind of score he was capable of being. Um, and some of this is circumstance and, and, and adverse circumstances for the team. No one expected this many injuries and for Kelly to be thrust into the starting lineup. But there have been so many games where Kelly's the leading scorer. And, and that has not been necessarily his role in the NBA. To see him take it on and consistently score at this kind of level with more of the defensive attention being placed on him, um, it's been impressive. And, and look, I don't know what's going to happen for Kelly, um, you know, in, in the years to come. I know he's going to be very popular because guys who can score 20 points per game always are in the NBA. Um, but I think he has definitely opened some eyes as to what the possibilities can be with him. I think as a sixth man, 
look, if the Hornets are healthy next year and that's the role he ends up occupying, if he's back with the Hornets, I, I'd pick him as a preseason likely favorite to be sixth man of the year. He'd be on that short list. And if he's in the starting lineup, I think that's a good option too. Um, so, you know, I think Kelly Oubre, you, you never want injuries to open up this kind of opportunity for guys, but even someone we kind of knew how good he was, he's been very impressive this year with the opportunities he's had. Again, uh, Magic Hornets tonight, 7 p.m. Tip off. You can listen to Sam, WWBG, 1470 a.m. here in the triad. Um, I think it's about 20 games left to go here in the season. 18, uh, but who's counting? 18, 18, games, <laughs> 18 games left for the regular season for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, and then, of course, the NBA uh, three-month-long trek known as the NBA playoffs will begin. So, um, Sam, always a pleasure having you on. Uh, definitely need to get you back on as we get closer to the draft time, um, as we get closer to – kind of figuring out you know where we are and then what we need things of that sort i want a guy that's watched this team all year because you're gonna have a better idea of the holes in this roster than than most so definitely bring you back around uh nba draft time appreciate you brother i i look forward to it i'll, I'll say this the, the the cheat sheet on it best player available if you're if Thank you're you. drafting <laughs> if you're drafting this this high or low however you choose to look at it probability is there's several places you could upgrade on your team so do they need a pass first point guard no could they use something an upgrade any and everywhere else or just an increase in in talent any and everywhere else yes so you know (laughs) take your shot at whoever you think that all-star that hall of famer is going to be and go from there coming up more from franchise players here on tobacco road sports radio.com